namaste to everyone uh, this is your host manal vishisht and welcome to vidhu watch podcast hope you all are keeping safe and well today's topic which i'll be discussing is very close to my heart that is geopolitics uh, months ago i came across uh, this very interesting book written by our current minister of external affairs uh, dr subramanyam jayashankar called the india way now uh, this book primarily deals with on how india needs to guide its foreign policy in the present multipolar world and while reading i came across a very interesting chapter uh, in this book which discusses on how india and indians need need to learn from their cultural history and traditions uh, focusing on mahabharat when it comes to solving present day dilemmas in terms of its foreign policy uh, but we have to note that dr jayashankar is analyzing mahabharat having a lens of a diplomat and how we can learn about many things from this ancient text to tread the path of current order of multipolarity so uh, let's begin as per dr jayashankar uh, we are currently living in a in a multipolar world with with frenemies balance of power and a clash of values uh, which is currently presenting a challenge for global politics he says that western ideas policies and their own paradigm has dictated the global norms till now and china as the first non western power has seriously begun to challenge the same china rise in the post 1945 era has drawn its cultural heritage to project its personality and shape the narrative therefore it is logical that india too should follow the same suit indeed if there are today's hurdle to understanding india's viewpoint much of that actually arises from an ignorance of its thought process now for example uh, he says that it is revealing that a, that a standard american introduction to the indian strategic thought does not even refer to mahabharat though this particular epic or text deeply influences the average indian mind now imagine commenting similarly on the western strategic traditions you know ignoring homer's iliad or uh, uh, machiavelli's the prince or in fact on china too uh, uh, disregarding uh, their own equivalent which is called three kingdoms or japan uh, which has got 47 ronin so according to him technically we indians have ignored our text at our own peril and uh, instead of critically analyzing them and learning from them we have kind of uh, categorized it as some kind of a myth and and ignored it uh, due to due to our uh, own ignorance now coming back to to this particular chapter of uh, of uh, this book the india way uh jay shankar makes certain important prominent points and also put out important examples or events from the mahabharat itself from which indian policy makers uh, specifically foreign policy makers can learn a bit according to dr jay shankar pluralism as we see 
is not a western concept indians know it very well since ages because we have a very long history of diversity and coexistence you know uh, 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 living with different school of thoughts and that is the reason why it defies this particular preconception that uh, uh, plural uh, pluralism comes from uh, uh, the west basically so uh, dr jayshankar says that if we, if we, if we look at mahabharat uh, unlike chanakya's arthashastra it is not a compendium on statecraft but it provides a real life accounts and situations and the inherent choices which which are made by the characters in it and as a text as an epic it it dwarfs its counterparts in other civilizations not just in length but in its richness and complexity mahabharat focuses on the importance of the sense of duty and the sanctity of obligations it is also it also provides a description of human frailties as well now the first example which i would like to quote or which dr jayashankar quotes is with respect to what kind of climate what kind of political climate pandavas were operating in so they were operating in the multipolar india right we had uh, different different kingdoms uh, in, in in india and pandavas were operating in that particular multipolar india and if you compare the same thing with today's context we see that we are currently living in a multipolar world where we don't have a single power deciding certain things for rest of the world we are seeing that lot many individual nations are going ahead to influence the world and they are taking their decisions independently without relying or without waiting for a sanction from any big power the second example uh, which dr jayashankar gives is about uh, fear of unknown consequences and here he takes a leaf out of uh, uh, arjun he says that the best known of the dilemmas in mahabharat relates to a determination to implement key policies without being discouraged by the collateral consequences of the action uh for example arjuna as he enters battlefield undergoes a crisis of confidence and he is unable to summon up the determination to take on uh, his own family members or kinfolk uh, uh, who are ranged against his own interest uh though he is eventually persuaded by lord krishna to do his duty there are underlying aspects of arjuna's behavior that apply to state players in international relations Unlike Arjuna, we in India are less intimidated by comfort with the known as by the fear of the unknown. Yes, lot of decisions or lot lot of foreign policy decisions which India make or which 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 uh, India make, they we we always have this unknown fear of consequences, which is really a bad optics for a large country like us. Dr. Jayashankar says that in contemporary parlance the expression soft state describes a nation's inability or unwillingness unwillingness to do what is necessary asserting national interest and securing and securing strategic goals through various means is the dharma of the state and indeed it was of an individual warrior this needs underlining in a climate where judgments are sometimes made with a yardstick of popularity rather than strategy dr jayashankar says that 
a lot of our decisions depends upon whether it is popular or not popular it does not depend upon whether it is strategically beneficial to us or not for example you see a lot many times it happens that whenever there is a vote on certain things with respect to israel uh, and when it comes to their own issues of west bank gaza or palestine issue you see india never votes in favor of israel right or uh, either they may not be voting or they may remain absent from voting what this shows is that india or the indian government don't want to antagonize the large muslim population which we have in our country and that is the reason why usually india remains absent when it comes to voting in respect of palestine west bank or gaza uh, of israel in, in favor of israel and what it shows is that indian policy makers go by the notion of popularity rather than uh, the strategic choice now the third example uh, which uh, jashaga gives is with respect to displaying uh, responsibility when dealing with complex situations he says that in mahabharat just the way uh, king yudhishthir uh, the elder brother of the pandavas was uh, hesitant to initiate a war and just like how arjun in the battlefield was feeling the same kind of emotions but they understood the strategic concept the strategic benefit and sharpened their sentiments on past relationships clash with the requirement of the future interest and hence they acted more responsibly than how indians or indian policy makers are acting currently or the way they have acted you know maybe 5 years back or 10 years back when it comes to strictly to the foreign policy notions fifth example which he gives us that it is important that india currently makes conscious choices and thinks out of the box when it comes to dealing with any adversary or treading the path of this global multipolarity he gives a very poignant example of this uh he says that most strategists fight the last war not the next in that context arjun made a consequential a uh, consequential choice sometime before the battle began one day both he and his rival cousin duryodhan went to krishna's capital dwarka to seek his support as an ally arjun arrived later but was seen first by the awakening host that is krishna as he sat at the foot of the bed krishna asked him to choose between krishna's army or his personal participation without weapons Arjun surprised Duryodhan by opting Krishna participating in the war without weapons. Now what this shows is that the understanding of the game changing potential of Sri Krishna was the clear motive why he chose Lord Krishna instead of accepting his marvelous Narayani Sena or the Narayani battalion of the kingdom of Dwarka he further says that like most warriors Duryodhana thought in an unorthodox in an orthodox manner while Arjuna also understood what was outside the box without neglecting the established area of capability it is vital that our nation prepare itself better for what awaits the world therefore we need to think out of the box in the sense that we need to work in the areas like artificial intelligence robotics data analytics or sensing 
advanced materials and surveillance particularly if leveraging others is central to success it is imperative that a contemporary and informed assessment of capabilities is made arjun understood what lord krishna was about and duryodhana did not and let me tell you that was the turning point of the war even before the war began sixth example uh, seventh example which which dr jayashankar gives is why uh, sometimes there are no merits in breaching the code of conduct or the well laid down rules or principles as per jayashankar he says that mahabharata holds numerous examples of violations of codes of conduct some more flagrant than others he says that the main protagonist duryodhana is killed literally with a blow with a blow below the belt of the successive corps of commanders one is brought down using a woman warrior as a shield the second attacked after laying down weapons and the third decapitated when digging his chariot wheel out of the ground well laid rules of individual combat fall by the wayside as stakes mount arjuna's son abhimanyu is attacked by multiple adversaries simultaneously including from the rear his own father arjun also breaches the code in assaulting bhurishavas when engaged in a fight with his long standing rival satyaki such deviations provided justification for the most terrible act of the conflict the night time slaughter of sleeping victors of drona's son ashwatthama at the end of the war in revenge against the manner of his father's killing what jayashankar wants to tell you by giving this example is that sometimes you may think that while violating a particular international code of conduct or international principles or international laws uh provides you certain benefits but it is possible that in future that breaking of international rules will become liability for you just how it became liability for pandavas when dronacharya's son ashwatthama killed lot many warriors along with the sons of pandavas in their own shelter in a night raid because ashwatthama had a very potent reason of doing so because pandavas too killed dronacharya when he had laid down his weapons hence it is important that whenever we think of breaking any rules or any international relations it's important to weigh the positives and the negatives of it or there may be a possibility that though we may get benefit in a short period of time but there may be a long term liability which would be more worse than the ones which than more worse you know than than the profit which we you know gained from uh, the short term profit which we gained from while while uh, uh, breaking that particular international law eighth example which dr jayashankar gives is is about strategic deception as per jayashankar he says that while deviations from the norm are less rare a more complex issue is the role of deception it clearly cannot be that activities in domain of foreign policy and national security should be transparent in all respects after all incentives fear and manipulation are part of human nature indian strategic thought most notably kautilya's or chanakya's writings underline the importance of sam dam dand bhed that is alliance compensation force and taking as the ways of approaching political challenges 
the complexity of tactics grows in direct proportion to the gravity of the situation. Here, Jayshankar provides two very poignant examples. First example is, at a moment of battlefield desperation, King Yudhishthir is persuaded to make a false public declaration to destroy the moral of Dronacharya, who was a critical opponent. Second, when Arjuna's oath to kill King Jayadrat by a deadline was being tested, Sri Krishna created an illusion of safety that encouraged Jayadrat, the hunted warrior, to expose himself with fatal consequences. And he actually dies by the hands of Arjuna. So what it says is that, or what it shows, is that the letter of action has violated its spirit. Far more flagrant situations honestly speaking, have happened in real life. Hence, Jayashankar says that strategic deception by its very definition is a high-stakes initiative that requires a certain mindset to succeed. Usually involving a large number of players and longer timelines, it is difficult to carry out without considerable internal discipline. In the Mahabharat, the Kauravas attempt the strategic deception thrice against the Pandavas. Once in seeking to drown Bhim, again in attempting, attempting to burn the Pandavas in the house of Lak, that is Lakshagraha, and finally in inviting Yudhishthir to play a rigged game of dice. Dr. Jashankar says that authoritarian societies are intrinsically more skilled in this regard, and the correlation between statism and strategic deception in the modern world uh, cannot be disregarded. Statism means where the government is more centralized, more authoritarian as compared to others. So he says that the practice of strategic deception can be played by the governments who are more centralized or more authoritative as compared to uh, the, the, uh, the way uh, India functions basically. Dr. Jashinka says that while democracies are far from incompetent in this department, but they do require strong and cohesive establishment to practice it effectively. That means we require a strong establishment if it wants to practice deception uh, in geopolitics, just like how China does. And, and, he, and he gives this amazing example also. He says, the one society that has elevated dissimulation to the highest level of statecraft as one of or as many sinologists have pointed out is China. He says virtues are repeatedly lauded in three kingdoms epic, where many of the decisive encounters are won by trickery rather than by force. Deceiving, for example, there is a popular Chinese thinking which says deceiving the heavens to cross the ocean or making a sound in the east to then strike west are among its most well-known aphorisms. And unlike India, Chinese does not have guilt nor doubt in dissembling. Dissembling means again a deception. In fact, it is kind of glorified in their society. He further says that India unfortunately has struggled even with the gaps between declared policy and actual objectives. Uh, thus, in the 1950s, it was difficult to sustain the messaging of Asian Brotherhood with China while preparing an effective border defense. With Pakistan, the nostalgia of a partitioned people has continuously competed with the reality of an obsessive adversary. Even in Sri Lanka, the mandate of peacekeeping was difficult to reconcile with the eventual application of force. Honestly, 
India, while running a dual track policy narrative with actual goals being at variance, so that means the policy which you are running is actually different from the goals you want to achieve. Look at the kind of mistake which we are committing or which we were committing. Therefore, we require a more cohesive elite as best at overcoming this and successfully executing strategic deception. Those constrained by their inabilities can only take comfort in reputational advantages that they inadvertently enjoy. Next example he gives about is regarding the dangers of single-minded hostilities. And this is a very, again, an amazing example from Mahabharat. Uh, so there was uh, a king named Susarma uh, who led Trigarta warriors, uh, who basically hails from Punjab of today. So, and they were traditional allies of the Kurus. And they had this special hate or enmity towards uh, one Pandav, which was Arjun. Uh, Arjun defeated them when he was preparing for Yudhishthira's coronation ceremony. Now, this particular single-minded hostility which Susharma had against Kaurava proved very costly or dear to Pandavas. The example is this. Susharma challenged Arjun to fight to the death, which diverted Arjun away from the main battlefield to facilitate a Kaurav attempt at capturing his brother Ayudhashtir alive. Arjuna does win or he triumphs against Susarma by killing him. But the diversion of Arjuna leads to the death of his beloved son Abhimanyu who alone could resist the Kaurav effort. So the moral here is that is that danger of small adversaries whose single-mindedness goes to the extent of destroying themselves to inflict damage. He says, the potential of such opponents, even if less suicidal, to cause grief should not be underestimated. There is another example which he gives of Sindhu king Jaitrat, which we discussed uh, way back, who, after an earlier bruising encounter uh, with the Pandavas, acquires the capability to take on brothers, all the brothers except Arjun, one day. And consequence of this, he could single-handedly block all the four brothers, that is Yudhishthir, Bhim, uh, Sehadev and Nakul, by breaching the chakra view or spinning wheel formation. And as a result of this, what happens is that Abhimanyu remains alone in the chakra view and he was killed uh, by the Kauravas. So what this shows is that Pakistan, the current Pakistan, is the same is the, the small-time adversary having this single-minded hostility against India. And for that, India and its foreign policy makers needs to come up with some out-of-the-box strategies or thinking to contain this particular hostile, hostile enemy. Therefore, it is important that India should have this strategic clarity about Pakistan as to what it represents and what it does not. Hence, India needs to show a fortitude, creativity and perseverance of a degree. You know, that, that, that should impress Arjuna as well when it comes to dealing with an enemy like Pakistan. The next example is about the demerits of non-alignment. Dr. Jaishankar says that India cannot afford to be non-aligned as it was during the Nehruvian era of 50s, 60s and 70s. Uh, he gives a very another two great examples of this, or three examples, I would say, of Mahabharata. He says, the first is of Shalya, the maternal uncle of Pandavas, who is tricked by a false flag operation into committing to the Kaurav site. 
yet he deploys deception and ends up undermining the morale of Kaurava general Karan, for whom he was a charioteer at a critical battle. The second example is of Krishna's brother Balram or Haldar. Haldar, uh, Balram decided to stay neutral in this war because he has taught warfare to both uh, the sides of the party. And when war comes, he does not side with any of them and in fact goes to a pilgrimage. But when he comes back and is not happy with the result of one particular event, he tries to influence it. But Krishna stops him and says that when you have decided to stay out of the battle and you didn't took any sides, you do not have any right to influence the end result of it. The third example which uh, Dr. Jayashankar gives is that of Rukmi of Vidarbha, who was the elder brother of Rukmini, wife of Sri Krishna. Rukmi also was a notable warrior who stays out of the war, but for a very different reason. Because he overestimates his value to both sides and end up accepting accepted by neither. So basically he thinks that, you know, I'm a person who is more greater than these two parties. So I'm sorry, keep me out of this. But in the end, when he tries to uh, join the sides of both of them, he is being kind of ignored by both of the parties and hence whatever the result of the war he was not a party to it hence india's non-alignment policy cannot work in the current global multipolarity the next example which jayashankar gives is about why sometimes regime change is ethical in the sense that you help the weak to come together against that one dominant power he gives a real life example According to him, uh, hijam change has been in practice since, you know, the states has existed. Uh, and if you look at Iraq war or Libyan war, we see how the hijam change was deployed by USA. Although, although it was a bit unsuccessful, but it was successful in terms of uh, uh, achieving the chaos in, in these two beautiful countries. Now, uh, the example of Mahabharat which Jashanka gives is of the killing of King Jarasandh of Magadh at the instance of Krishna. Uh, he says that his removal was necessary to both put down the immediate challenge because Magadh kingdom of that time was way powerful. And let me remind you also that Jarasandh of Magadh, he was the potent enemy to Yadavs uh, or uh, the Vrishnis whom the Krishna represented. So what Krishna did and he knew that when whenever the war will happen, Jarasan will definitely side with the Kauravas. So Krishna had two things in his mind. First that in future he will side with Kauravas and their strength will increase exponentially. Second he had this very important reason for having this regime change in the kingdom of Magadh because Jarasandh had 98 princes detained unjustly and once he achieved the number of 100 he wanted them to sacrifice so from Krishna's viewpoint it was also a settled so as per Krishna's viewpoint it is ethical that the regime change needs to be done and he did it when Jarasandh was killed by Bhim so as for Jay Shankar, what this illustrates is what we do, what we would today call South-South cooperation is like a coming together against a dominant. 
assisting the vulnerable and weak clearly has great value in collective politics equally important a national goal was attained in the name of global good regional changes are among the most the more controversial aspects of international relations since they are visibly violative of sovereignty but if they must be done it is best achieved with an ethical explanation that carries credibility what is what, what so what does mean that krishna had a very potent reason with him of jarasan detaining 98 princes unjustly and hence such figure needs to be killed a regime change is important that may have been so in this particular case but more recent examples like iraq had less ring to it so what gesho comments is that the, the kind of reasons which usa gave for invading iraq did not held the ground because it was weak so it is important that whenever india in future wants to achieve a regime change it needs to have credible reason for it and a positive narrative narrative of it then only you can think of having a regime change and another another aspect of it is that india should always help weaker nations who are not hostile to it which will in future help it coming together and challenge a dominant power for example maybe china the next example and there's a 12th example which which uh jashanga gives is about learning from errors he gives a very short example is that in mahabharat yudhishthir loses his kingdom indraprastha when he loses the game of dice the rigged game of dice from kauravas against kauravas however look at the irony that he becomes so expert in the game of dice that it helps him to gain employment in the kingdom of matsya under king virat where he became his prime advisor that is that particular game which became the reason for his damnation became reason for his salvation another example which dr jashiva talks about is how india should balance its power and the importance of having solidarity among the nations he says that the substance that runs through the mahabharat is the balance of power among the kingdoms of india solidarity among them is often explained by kinship but that itself is often an outcome of state interest he gives two significant example he says that there was a kingdom of panchal and there was a kingdom of matsya both the kingdoms proved to be an ultimate allies for the pandavas in the decisive battle for example during the 13th year of their exile the pandavas were identifying the kingdoms that would be friendlier to them and one was of matsya kingdom hence it provided them the shelter to remain safe under their un, un, under the protection of king virat second to to strategize while taking out jarasan krishna highlights the closeness of kauravas of jarasan but also list other allied ways so what it shows is that sometimes having solidarity with number of nations or any particular nation will be beneficial for us in future if there are certain points which which are being discussed in international forums uh against india those nations who have common solidarity with us will come in our support and that will allow us to sail through that particular difficult uh phase where you know india india needs to held its ground hence 
having this kind of balance of power and solidarity is important for the country another potent example which jayashankar gives is about controlling the narrative he says that where the pandavas has had consistently scored over their cousins kauravas was the ability to shape and control the narrative their ethical positioning was literally at at a, at, at the heart of their superior branding he says through acts of valor nobility and generosity they generally came out as the better side though they were victims on many occasions but they also played the ability to play victim amazingly further their very upbringing in the forest gives them the head start with the public opinion the attempt to kill them in the house of lack or lakshagraha shows them as an injured party they further accept an unfair partition of the kingdom that again fortifies the image they successfully executes a startup kingdom executing uh, and creates a successful kingdom of indraprastha which you know again adds to their luster the abominable the abominable treatment of their wife draupadi gives them a kesa's belly that is never allowed to be dampened the master stroke which pandavas did was to make an offer to duryodhana of reasonable settlement and accepting just five towns on the eve of the war so that peer opinion shifts in their favor so what Jayashankar says us that it is very important that any nation or India controls its own narrative. And let me tell you honestly, this is my opinion again, that the kind of narrative which India has got in West is thoroughly negative, totally negative. And I think I think many of my friends who are living abroad can can watch for this. Hence, Jayashankar says that we need to focus on this particular aspect. and we need to have this whole narrative building exercise which is positive for our country because if at all in future something happens something worse happens there are nations who stands with us and hence it is very important that you have a good narrative good branding too which america does brilliantly the next example uh, or the next topic which jayshankar discusses about is the willingness to sacrifice to achieve larger goals here gives very painful uh, examples uh, from mahabharat uh, he says that the shift towards real politic also brings to the fore the cost and justification of policy prescriptions though he says though certain sacrifices are tragic but they are important to achieve larger goals he gives three examples first is of abhimanyu's death In the larger scheme of things it was the collateral damage of an effort to secure king yudhishthir second is of the sacrifice of arjuna's son iravan from the naga princess which he had as a price to be paid for victory when the war started and third example he gives is of nephew gatotkach who was killed by karn when by 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 uh, unstoppable shakti weapon and mind you karn had a mind to use this particular weapon to kill arjuna but gatotkach sacrificed himself due to which arjun was saved and later karna was killed by arjun hence jayashankar says that national interest has operational cost and making those decisions is often the most difficult responsibility of leadership therefore it is important that the kind of leadership view which we have in our country should be decisive and should have clear cut national goals in his or her mind hence in present day example if we see i'll give you two examples first was of 
Indira Gandhi who took who took a decisive decision fight with Pakistan when it was committing or uh, atrocities in Bangladesh against the majority Bangladeshis. Second example is of Modi when to avenge the death of soldiers in the Pulwama attack by uh, Pakistanis he conducted Balakot air strikes uh, uh, he conducted air strikes in Balakot and let me tell you this this could have had huge ramifications in geopolitics and in in Asia as well but he was clear in his mind he was decisive and he took that decision and later on we came out unscathed though there was certain price certain sacrifice which we also need which we also did but the larger goal always triumphs the sacrifices last but not the least jashankar provides a justification of working unitedly uh, he says that pandavas are an excellent example of integration born of different mothers and each with a complex paternal origins they function very well as a team overcoming internal tensions they have complementary skill sets that make them that make the combination particularly effective as a model they should inspire greater deliberation on the difficulties of working together efficiently india honestly speaking has more than its fair share of this problem because we are blessed with both social pluralism and extreme individualism because india suffers from these two problems hence it is important that we learn from how pandavas how these five brothers have different qualities worked in tandem to achieve the larger goals for themselves Jashankar further says that individualism could be individualism could be aggravated by the by a possessiveness which has been enhanced by shortages. Uh, bureaucratism has also been entrenched in our society. What perhaps add to all of this is a focus on process rather than concern over outcomes. The lack of integration comes in different forms, but it is only by attacking them in all their manifestations that Indian foreign policy can really change for the better. He says. the koruvas most notably push competition to its extreme limits creating a backlash that even justifies the emulation of their abominable tactics the pandavas in contrast build the brand and display strategic patience as a result of this they were able to defeat superior adversary in part by using asymmetric tactics the next example which he gives us up is of about role of shri krishna in this great war he says the determining factor as we all know is shri krishna shri krishna understands the big picture he fashions a strategy according accordingly and comes up with tactical solutions at decisive moments shri krishna choices set the direction whether it is structural change shaping sentiment enhancing brand or creating narratives certain examples which i would like to give is by bringing down jarasand he is able to ensure a more favorable balance of power whether it is through his own presence or by sagacious advice tendered he helps swing opinion in favor of the pandavas his diplomatic overtures underlining the message of a reasonable power thereby making his side look the injured party further at key moments for example the killing of jaydrat karan and duryodhan he is both you know the motivator and the justifier he is also the advocate of restraint to the pandavas encouraging them to bide their time and acquire the necessary capabilities for a conflict that is inevitable shri krishna's shri krishna may be the voice of reason or the words of caution but equally it is also the call to action when required it is not just that he shows the pathway when others flounder 
most importantly he does the right thing with full responsibility so this shows why shri krishna was a powerful political player a great diplomat and a great politician of his times and a great advisor to pandavas hence by this india can learn on how to sail through this particular crisis which we are in currently which our country is in currently so much wisdom from one text honestly speaking dr jay shankar has done commendable job in 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 recognizing this and making us understand how why we need to critically analyze our text i mean look at the vividness and the richness of this particular text hope i have done justice in making you guys understand you know on why we need to constantly analyze our texts and mind you dr jay shankar agrees with me on this uh i hope india that is bharat comes out safely from this uh, global churning which we are witnessing in front of our eyes hope that uh, uh i hope that we indians learn to uh, appreciate the works of our ancient ancestors who were according to me were far far ahead of us in many ways uh thank you guys for listening out uh, today's episode i hope you all have liked it uh we'll be soon coming with our next episode till that time see you soon stay safe and namaste Bye.